Well, um, let's, let's get into Scripture this morning. And if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews. And uh, we are on our second week of preaching through the book of Hebrews. And if you remember last week, it's a dense, thick, chewy, what did I call it, a dense brownie um, that we are just getting through. And this morning, it's the same. We got a lot of work to do this morning, okay? Um, so if you have your Bibles, turn to that. We're going to stay in chapter one. We're going to finish out that this morning. And, you know, we looked at this truth that Jesus is better. That's the theme. That's what we're going to see every single time that we open up the book of Hebrews. We are going to see this truth that Jesus is better. Now, the writer of Hebrews, who we don't know who the author is, um, he is not just saying that Jesus is better than, uh, and he's the better option out of like three or four different kinds of things. What he's saying really is that Jesus is superior. Above all, above anyone, above anything, there is no one and there is no thing better than Jesus. Now, the problem with that statement is, if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you know in your mind that that's true, but the reality is life gets in the way, doesn't it? And then what we start to do is we get our attention off the, off the path that we're meant to be walking on, and things that are all bright and shiny start to dangle over here, and we go, oh, that looks better than Jesus. And then we start to give our heart and our affection toward these things that are bright and shiny, and we start to declare these things as good, as the greatest, as superior, when all along we are meant to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the most besterest thing. That's a word, okay? And so what we're doing today is we're not only going to remember that Jesus is better than the prophets, but we're going to look in this fact that Jesus is better than angels, as the Hebrew writer is going to help us unpackage it. Now, why do we even need to answer that question? Why do we even need to declare that Jesus is better than angels? Most of us here in this room don't have a problem with angel worship. Most of us, right? Anybody here struggle with that? Angel worship? Are you just brave enough to raise your hand? No. Most of us don't go out of here and we have a little shrine set up to an angel or we think of angels as deities. We don't do that. But what we do is we do get our hearts divided on things that tend to give us comfort or give us peace, especially things that have worked in the past. And things that we know that we could go back to because if we, if we go back, it worked before. You know, when I put money in Bitcoin, man, look how that turned out, right? And so now, I don't know where Bitcoin is right now. It's just all over the place and, you know, all that nonsense, right? And I don't even understand how something is something, but it's not something. Don't ask me about Bitcoin. I don't know how that works. Um, but, you, you know, you've gone back to something. I, when I did this in this relationship, this brought me comfort. When I put my money here, this, the return of investment was really good. When, when I thought about, you know, like when I got an education and I was able to learn this, this brought me peace and I, I felt, you know, really good about the position in my life and I got my eyes off of Jesus. And what we're going to see here is that the writer of Hebrews is trying to explain to the recipients, he's saying Jesus is better than angels and not just the better, but he is superior. And why that matters is because these people had grown up with probably a Jewish heritage. They would have revered angels way differently than you and I would. 
They would have known stories about angels. They would have grown up with understanding how angels had rescued them over uh, uh, many times in their Jewish lineage. And so now they're starting to face and come under some persecution, some real persecution. And so they're starting to turn their eyes off of Jesus who saved them, who set them free from their sin and death and Satan. And they're starting to revert and put their hope back in to the things of the past. Now, Hollywood has a specific look at angels, doesn't it? Either it's like these little fat, little miniature chubby babies wearing diapers, playing harps. That's not an angel. A cherub is an angel. Boom. Take that. My point. So we either think of, thank you very much, I feel vindicated. We, we either think of angels as these little chubby bunny babies, baby bunnies, bubba bunny, uh, strumming harps all day, just floating like aimlessly in the clouds, or shooting us with arrows to make us fall in love, or we think of angels somehow as these heavenly therapists, right? They'll come down and just be like, there, 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 there. That's what angels do. Actually, if you look at Scripture, angels are awesome, aren't they? They're awesome. Angels are they're, they're terrifying. Um, they, so every time you see in Scripture and an angel appears to someone, what does the angel have to say? Don't fear. Fear not. And the people are so overwhelmed, always overcome with terror that they fall down on their face, their, their, their face turns white, and they think they're about to die. Uh, I've heard stories of people say, oh, yeah, I see angels all the time. You know, I, and, and I'm interacting with angels, and I'm like, what, well, did you die, almost die? Oh, no, they're real friendly. And I'm like, I don't think you're thinking what you think you're thinking. You know, that's not, a- angels are awesome. They're terrifying. So who would be better to call on if, let's say right now, we all grew up with stories of angels intervening into our lives. Stories of times where we were in big, serious trouble as Christians. Times where we weren't sure what we were supposed to do, where we were meant to go, if we were even going to live or die. And God, in His power and His mercy, sends an angel and intervenes. Now, if we were to come into trouble right now, and that was our history, of course we'd be like, we need an angel, don't we? We need. I mean, here's some of the things that happen in the Bible. Just one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one battle. One angel goes through the battle and 185,000. That's a lot. Angels struck people blind in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Angels kept Daniel safe in the lion's den. Remember we read that? Shut the mouth. Angels killed all of the firstborn of all the Egyptians. Who better than angels to get them out of their trouble? You see why the Hebrew writer is saying, hey guys, don't get off the bright and shiny stuff here. Remember the truth of who Jesus is. And so we do. We long for like a message. We long for a security knowing that everything's going to be okay, don't we? We, um, We had a little puppy before our dog now. His name was Ranger. He was so cute. Yeah. 
and he was this little golden retriever puppy, right? And we were all excited. Asia, uh, she, she, uh, what do you call it? Surprised, that's the word. She surprised, she pr- surprised our family. She walks in holding this little dog, and I was like, ah! you know, when our family, I think we only had this dog for less than a week. And we were so enraptured by this little puppy. And then we find out it's sick, it gets parvo, right? And we did our best. I mean, we were like IVing and like giving all this, and it, to no avail, it passed away. So what did we do? We went and got another dog, right? And I remember when we had this new puppy, and I mean, you know, if you've ever had a dog with parvo, it's, it's pretty rough. But this virus can linger, and so we were spraying everything with bleach and making sure. And then we bring this home do- dog home. We're like, okay, you know, is it going to be all right? And so Marianne and I are about to go to a trip. And the morning we leave to get on the plane, the new dog, Henry, he's awesome. Uh, the new dog, Henry, he starts throwing up and having diarrhea. And I'm just thinking to myself, no, I can't go through this again. And, you know, I used to be the guy who made fun of people who would cry over their pets. I'd be like, you know, dogs don't go to heaven. They don't have souls. Get over it. Get a new dog, you know? And when our first little puppy died, Sam and I were digging, you know, and we're, we're not even saying anything, and tears are coming out of our eyes. We're like, you know? So I was scared that the same thing is going to happen to this new dog. So I go, Asia, we got to get on plane, but you have to. You have to take this dog to the vet. You have to figure out what's going on with it. You have to find out if it has parvo. And I'm on pins and needles, getting on the plane, thinking, oh my gosh, I, I don't know if we can, like, I might have to come home for a dog. That's who I've become. God help me. We get the news. What does the vet say? He doesn't have parvo. He's fine. Stop giving him treats. He's too young for treats. That was Asia's fault. You guys, I can't tell you the relief that came into my heart and in my mind at that moment that Henry doesn't have parvo. He's going to be okay. Right? Yeah. What an insipid, silly thing to put my hope in. And I'm waiting with bated breath, hinging my hope in a moment whether the vet is going to tell me my dog's going to be all right or not. And we do kind of the same thing. Imagine these people here. They're in trouble. They're waiting for God to interact with them. Somehow, God, send your angels. God, we need an angel. And the Hebrew writer says, I have someone to remind you of the truth of who He is who is so much better than angels. So much better than the prophets of old who spoke to you a certain way. I have someone so much better that I want to remind you of the truth of this person. His name is Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 3 all the way to the end. Uh, We're going to start in halfway through verse 3, starting here. This is what the Word of the Lord says. It's after making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, 
you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will, be to, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of, of up, uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Verse 10. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has, has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are, in, who are to inherit salvation? All right, so here we have this almost like a sermon that the Hebrew writer is saying. Say, guys, I know you're tempted right now because you're, you're undergoing some hardship. I know you're tempted to go back to what you know and to what is comfortable. Let me encourage you, Hebrews. Jesus is better than the angels. No matter how much, how high regard, how revered, how much that worked for you in the past, there's someone Who's better? So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at three things about how Jesus is better than the angels. And the first one is this. You'll see right away that Jesus has a greater name than the angels. Jesus has a greater name. Now, why is this important? What does this even mean? Let me try to explain this to you guys. Um, when I was a kid, and you've heard me say this, and so there must be some bitterness in my heart, of course. But uh, I, having the name Kelly growing up on the playground wasn't that great, okay? Um, during the 80s, and, you know, like, it, the only person that made Kelly cool was Kelly Slater, and he hadn't really come on the scene yet. He's the, if you don't know who Kelly Slater is, he's like an awesome surfer, right? So then I was like, okay, kind of like Kelly. But I was always thought of as Kelly Kapowski, who was from Saved by the Bell, and she was the hot girl on the show. And so my name was always associated with a hot girl. That's not cool. And I remember feeling this angst as a child, and, and now I don't care because I'm mature enough and I don't care. And now, you know, I don't care what you think. Kelly's cool name, right? But as a kid growing up, I was like, and, you know, all of this, why is your, and kids just say mean things, don't they? And they just say what's come to their mind. Your name's Kelly. It is. That's a girl's name. It is. You're right. Can we be friends? Sure. Okay, let's go play, right? So is Jesus given a cooler name than, you know, is, is the writer of Hebrews saying, well, the name Jesus is more culturally manly and cool and, and brings to mind like, you know, warriors and all these guys, you know, is, is that why he's better than angel, angels' names? Like, is the name Gabriel not good enough? Is the name Michael not good enough? You know, these two really popular, famous names that we know about angels. I mean, they did some great things. Is that what the writer of Hebrews is saying? Hey, the reason why Jesus is better is because he's got a better name. Jesus just rolls off the tongue a little bit easier than Gabriel Michael. No, that's, 
not what he's explaining. And so what the writer of Hebrews is doing here is by saying that Jesus has a better name, we have to look at three particular instances of what that means. And we're going to get a little nerdy here for a moment, all right? You guys ready to go on this journey with me? All right, so you have to look at the first, the word inherited. You also have to look at the word begotten. And you have to look at the word firstborn that we see being declared about who Jesus is. Now, right away, if we don't understand the overarching picture of Scripture, we can get into a little bit of trouble here. We could tend to get into a little bit of heresy, speaking about the birth of who Jesus is and His origins. And we know as Christians that in the Trinity, Jesus has always existed He wasn't created by the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Father and the Holy Spirit weren't like in a lab, in some spiritual heavenly lab going, what should we do? Let's create the Son. And so therefore we have words like firstborn and begotten. No, that's not true. We know that Jesus has, since the beginning of time, just like the Father, just like the Spirit, has been one with them. He is he is God, but He is not the Father. All those Trinitarian things that jump, we know that He has been from the beginning of time. So that is not in question. So when the writer of Hebrews uses words like begotten, firstborn, etc., etc., what in the world is he talking about? Well, here's how we're going to break this down. So let's take the word inherited. All right. Now, when Jesus came into inheritance, most of us here this morning, when we think of an inheritance, we don't go towards merit. We don't go towards earning. Most of us, when we think of an inheritance, is just something that you're given because you have the same last name, right? You could be a slob. Your character, character could be terrible. You could be like in your mom's basement playing video games all day. And if you have a rich uncle and you're the inheritor, you're going to get that inheritance no matter what. This is not what this is speaking about when it talks about Jesus being given the inheritance of the name son. It is actually quite the opposite. See, in the biblical times, what would be given, the person that would be given the inheritance would be the person who earned it, would be the person who accomplished something, would be the person who brought honor to the family name. And so when the writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus has a better name because he has an inheritance, and that inheritance is the name Son from the Father, what he is declaring to you and me, the reason why Jesus is better than angels is because he has accomplished something that the angels could never, ever do. And that is our salvation, of course, isn't it? See, the the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, he didn't just inherit it because he happens to be the Son. He has come into what is now this inheritance because of what he has done. He has conquered over sin. He has conquered over death. He has conquered over Satan. And so, hey, you, re- you Hebrews readers, you recipients of this letter, don't get all caught up in all these trappings and long for the good old days and having an angel appear to you. Let me tell you something. There is one who has accomplished what can never be accomplished through an angel, and his name is Jesus, and Jesus is better than where you want to put your hope, where your heart starts to default. And so we have to understand that in the biblical context. All right? So it's kind of like, let me say it this way, like a boxer in a ring. You know? Remember the days when, uh, was his name Michael Buffer? I think that's the guy. 
the famous announcer, the mic drops from the ceiling somewhere, and he gets out, and there's two guys in different corners, and you remember, let's get ready, you know, all that stuff. And then the guy comes out, and there's like a long laundry list of all these accomplishments that this fighter has done. Wearing the red trunks this evening, the man of steel, you know, all of these things. He kills everyone with just one wink of his eye, all of those things. And it's the same thing Hebrews is saying. The guy who accomplished what could not be accomplished through angels, he's here in your corner about to fight for you. Stop rooting for the bad guy. The good guy's in your corner. It's like a boxer. All right. I'm yelling at you, aren't I? Let's just, let's just take it back a notch, guys. Let's just chill. So let's look at the word begotten here as well. The word begotten has nothing to do in this context with reproduction. You know, um, you'll read in, in Genesis, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and begat, and begat, and begat, and begat. And that means like, you know, he was the dad of this guy, and this guy was the dad of that guy, and it just keeps going on. So it's easy to get confused or misunderstand when the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus was begotten by the Father. Doesn't that mean that he was born from a heavenly Father? And then we can get into weird cults. There's some cults that believe that. Jesus was born. Mormonism is one of those things that teaches us that. You know, there's many gods, and Jesus just happens to be a god that was born from this god. No, that's not what the writer of Hebrews is telling us here. See, what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that there's this inception, in a, or conception, so to speak, of Jesus, but it's not physical, and it's not a lineage. What it is, is a declaration of the resurrection of who Christ is. Now, if you don't believe me, see, one helpful thing to do is Scripture interprets Scripture. All right? If you're ever trying to figure out what does this mean, you have to have Scripture interpreting Scripture. And a couple verses that are going to help us understand this this morning is Acts 13, 32-33. And Paul says this, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this He has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And you notice that was written in Hebrews. But here you say, this He has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. That's speaking of the resurrection. Now, let's continue this in Romans chapter 1, verse 4. He, speaking of Jesus, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His what? Resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, was it that like all of a sudden, you know, uh, God birthed Jesus the Son and that's how He comes on the scene? No. This declaration of a begottenness, this declaration of His victory is speaking of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, why is that important? Jesus being better than angels. No angel has ever died for your sins, gone on the cross, taken the weight of your sin upon themselves, completely died physically. No angel was ever buried in a tomb and then three days later was resurrected by the power of the Father, standing victorious over sin and death. No angel has ever done that. Only Jesus 
Let's just make it a little bit more real. No vet, even in declaring no parvo, has ever taken their sin, my sin, upon themselves, died a death that I should have died, then being resurrected over sin, death, and Satan for my behalf. No money that I have in the bank, no matter how that brings me comfort, has ever died for my sins and then been risen again three days later on the grave. No relationship that I have, my sons, my daughters, my wife, no matter who it is, cousins, aunties, it doesn't matter how close I am to them, no relationship earthly that I have on this place, on this planet, has ever died for my sins, gone into the grave, three days later, been raised again, victorious over the things that I cannot accomplish on my own power. Why is it important that Jesus is better than angels? Because He's the only one who has been resurrected. And in His resurrection stands victorious. Why, friends? Why would we look anywhere else? Why? Why are our hearts tempted to go, oh, that's bright and shiny over here. Why? No, 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 no. Persevere. Persevere in your faith. Persevere in your obedience to follow Jesus persevere in pursuing him persevere in casting all of those peripheral things even as good as they are to the side and keep your eyes focused on jesus imagine imagine this group of people right now they're huddled around they're about to be persecuted a lot of scholars and theologians think it might have been nero and if you know anything about nero he was brutal lighting christians on fire in his garden at dinner parties so he could have light. Hearing stories like this, they're huddled around, what are we going to do? A letter comes, a letter comes, and like, we've been, we, this is what we know, this is all we know, and the writer says, yeah, it's, it's going to be tough, but let me tell you, Jesus is better than what you used to put your hope in. Why? Because he has resurrection power. And then lastly, uh, the word firstborn, again, it's not talking about being born. Whenever the Bible speaks about being firstborn, it's always talking about an inheritance. It's always speaking about the, the firstborn child always gets the inheritance. Well, in this regard, Jesus is spiritually, in the sense, the firstborn over all creation. He's the firstborn, and he's the one who paved the way. He earned the way. He's the one who paid the merit. That's why you and I live by grace not by works because Jesus already did it because he's the firstborn. He's so much better than angels. He's better than anything else that we could put our hope in. All right, that was the first one. Jeez, all right. Jesus has a name that's greater than angels, but Jesus has a greater nature than angels. And just to help remind us here, let's go back and read verses 7 through 12. It says, of the angels, he says... He makes his angels winds and his, and his ministers a flame of fire. So what does that mean? It means that God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they send angels. Angels are sent. And they often, you know, you see in Scripture, it's like fire and it's wind and they go here and there. They are the ones being sent. Verse 8, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God. Everyone say God. Okay, half of you said God, that's all right. But why are we saying God? We're saying God because what we're saying here is I'm, we're acknowledging who Jesus is. 
The writer of Hebrews is telling us Jesus is God. Your throne, O God, speaking of Jesus, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness, the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness, hated wickedness. Therefore, God, everyone say God. Your God has anointed you, speaking of Jesus, with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, everyone say Lord. You, Jesus, you laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but Jesus, you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, etc., etc. You are the same. Your years will not come to an end, the writer of Hebrews says. Now, here's what we need to do. We need to take, it's almost like the writer of Hebrews here is giving us like this chart. He's almost like giving us two columns if you could go back and read this. And what you'll see, if you were to put angels in one column and Jesus in one column, you're going to see there's this huge, vast gap between the two. There is a clear contrast. So, a couple of those things that we see here is angels are worshipers. Jesus, what? Is worshipped. Only God is worshipped. Angels are subject and they worship Jesus. Angels are servants, aren't they? Jesus is what? He's the master. Angels are created. We see it in here. Jesus is the creator. Angels are subject to. And I love this truth of who Jesus is. Jesus is immutable. If you don't know what immutable means, it means he does not change. It means nothing can change him. Nothing from the outside can come and sway him. He's not like a boat with a sail and then all of a sudden the wind comes and pushes it off its his direction or his course. No, Jesus is this rock, rock of Gibraltar, is that the one? The prudential rock that we see in all the financial ads. He is the rock. The waves come. The waves come. The sun beats down on it. The rains come down. What happens to that rock? Nothing. It's immutable. Angels? Mm -mm. They don't have that same aspect of their character. They have a different nature. They were created by Jesus. So therefore, friends, it's not angels, again, that we're putting our hope in. What is it? It's stuff. It's, it, it's easy to get confused about stuff and God, isn't it? It's easy. I mean, Paul tells the Romans, he says their stomachs are their God. Remember that? He's like pointing out certain people, the pagans, and they worship, and they worship their stomach. Why? Because they find such pleasure in their food, don't they? Anybody here find pleasure in their food? I sure do. We're on the diet. It's called Life Sucks Diet right now. And you know what, my, what I'm allowed to eat? I'm allowed to eat protein. I'm allowed to eat vegetables. And I'm allowed to eat beans. Now you might say, that doesn't sound so bad. After three weeks, it's not that fun. And part of my stomach wants to be my God. We get one cheat day. We get a cheat day. And we've chosen to do that on Fridays. All right? And so what do we do? We're like, what are you going to eat? What are you going to eat? We're, we're like dreaming it like three or four days beforehand. We're like, what do we need to eat? Where are we going to go? Right? And so she's like, I really want a donut. Where did we go on Friday? We went to Sidecar Donuts. If you don't know where Sidecar Donuts is, woo, okay? 
Our stomachs are our gods. And it's easy to get confused with God and good. It's easy to get confused. And what the writer of Hebrews says, yeah, that stuff's good, that stuff's good, but that's gifts from the God. Not the God, you hear what I'm saying. That's gifts from God, that's gifts from the Creator. They are never meant to take the place of the one who gave the gifts. So why are you putting your hope in the gifts rather than the gift giver? That's who your Jesus is so much better than this stuff. He's so much better than food, even when you're on a life sucks diet. Marianne feels great. Well, good for you, baby. Imagine being, imagine, imagine the government coming in here right now and saying, if you declare Jesus, we're going to burn you at the stake. If you declare Jesus, we're going to take away everything you have. If you declare Jesus, we're going to make your life a living hell, if not kill you. There'd be a little temptation to go, oh, you know, yeah, Jesus, we worship Jesus, but he's not the guy, you know, sorry. Sorry, is that what you thought we were saying? We, you know, Kelly gets up here and says, we're a church that wants to make much about Jesus. I think he misspoke. We're a church that wants to like not you know, ruffle any feathers. That's who we are. Imagine this letter coming to us. And he would, the writer would say, guys, it doesn't matter what happens. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. And all that stuff that you think is so good, and, and it's, you're finding your comfort. Jesus is so much better than that. Just taste and see how beautiful Jesus is. Last one. Jesus has a greater position than the angels. Not only does he have a greater name, a greater nature, but he's got a greater position. Verses 13 and 14, 14 said this, And to which of the angels is God has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand? Of course, every single, every single one of these questions are rhetorical, aren't they? They're all no, none. You know, we, we get together every Sunday morning, we pray at 9.20. And one of the things I love that Jeff does, he just makes it clear. He'll ask a question and he'll say, this is not a rhetorical question. Because what we tend to do is go, oh, I don't need to answer that or you just kinda, you're going to give me the answer. And Jeff wants us to engage, right? He wants us to say, hey, this is what I think. And so we all in community. But this isn't the same here. This is different. What God is saying, the writer of the Hebrews is telling us and them, it's rhetorical. He's, he's asking a question. It's a bait and switch. Because He knows we know the answer. He knows they know the answer. He knows that we should probably feel a little ashamed about how we want to answer this, or if we were someone who were to look at our lives as Christians, how we have been answering this as being saying, actually, I've been living in such a way that I wouldn't rhetorically answer no to these things. I've been living in such a way that my life would reflect that I've been putting my hope in stuff and other things other than Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, for the last time, I'm just going to remind you that Jesus has a way better position than any of these angels. See, what happened when Jesus earned 
we don't like that word as grace-filled Christians. The word earn is like a dirty word. It's like a cuss word in church, isn't it? Because we're all about grace. Why are we all about grace? Because grace has been earned for us. And it was earned through Christ. See, it was earned through Jesus. Jesus lived a 100% perfect life. Never even thought one sinful thought. Not even, not even like a billionth of a percent of a sinful thought. That's crazy, isn't it? Never. He lived a hundred percent holy life in heaven and on earth and now resurrected. And in that perfection was the only reason why God could fully justify Jesus being the price that had to be paid because he was perfect. And only perfection could pay the price. And so Jesus earns our salvation by not only living a perfect life, but then dying a death that we deserve. And he willingly goes to the cross. All of mankind's sin is placed upon him in one moment, crushing his spirit, crushing his flesh, to the point where he cries out, Eli, Eli, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In anguish and pain, all of the junk, all of the things that we have done, we thought, we looked at, that we are conceding of wanting to do, has been placed on him in a moment. Death has died in that moment. Sin has died. The power of Satan has fully been vanquished in one moment. How was that done for you and I so we could say we live in grace and not earning it? Is because Jesus earned it. Jesus accomplished it. Jesus did the merit on our behalf. Not you, not me. And then, three days later, the sun breaks open. The tomb is rolled away, yes, by an angel. <laughs> Jesus is resurrected. Jesus is walking around with his disciples. Jesus is saying, put your fingers here and here and here. Who's that guy walking on the water? Who's that guy barbecuing some fish? Is it a ghost? It's the resurrected Jesus. What does this mean, Jesus, that you're resurrected? Let me tell you what it means. It means that before where you had to give in to sin, when your temptation told you, you have no other choice. Now, when you're at a fork in the road, you can, through the power of the Holy Spirit that I have purchased for you to have living inside of you, can every single time choose righteousness. Can every single time, no matter when death comes knocking on your door, you don't have to fear because you know you have an eternal hope that you will be with me forever because I purchased it for you. Now what's going to happen, the Hebrew writer says, because of all that, because of all that Jesus has done, because of the merit that he paid for, he's going to sit down at the right hand of the Father and he's going to put his feet up on the enemy. You have an ottoman in your house? Next time you like sitting on your chair with an ottoman and you put your feet up there, we put our feet on our coffee table. I'm going to be like, the enemy's, the, the coffee table's the enemy. This is what Jesus is doing right now. And he's like, now, this sitting doesn't mean that Jesus is inactive. He's not just like up in heaven going, whew, I did all that. That was some hard work. I'm just going to like, things are going to chill, I think, maybe for eternity. 
and just like watch everybody like run around and worship me. Yeah, no. See, here's the beautiful thing is that Jesus is not inactive. Jesus hasn't been inactive. I mean, man, what is, he sends his spirit to empower the church. He appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. He sent angels to rescue Peter. He sends his Holy Spirit now to teach us. One of the most beautiful things is he intercedes. He prays for you and me right now. He's not just like, tell me how amazing I am because look at all. No, he's like, I will continue to give. I will continue to pour out. I will continue to work on your behalf. He's victorious. Why is Jesus so much better than angels? Let's put angels in air quotes for us. Why is Jesus so much better than all that stuff? None of that stuff, none of our things, none of our circumstances, none of our situations that give us hope and pleasure in life have ever earned us salvation and are now sitting at the right hand of the Father victorious over sin and death. None of it. Should we enjoy it? Sure. Should we worship it? No. Do we? Yes. Do we need to repent? Yes. God help us. Now, let's just end reading this. I like, I don't know if the writer of Hebrews did this on purpose, but this is kind of what I saw. We speak about what Jesus, how he's greater, how he's better, how he's earned, how he's so much more superior than angels. I feel like, man, this sums this up. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, about halfway down, says, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It wasn't before. It wasn't before. It wasn't like just up till the moment that the cross was about to happen. Hey, guys. You know I lived a perfect life. That should be enough. Now follow my example. What is that? Every other religion in the world, isn't it? There was a really cool guy, really cool lady, really cool circumstance, really cool system. says, be perfect. And then you saw it kind of quasi-worked out in some religious book, and you read about it, and now you got to act like that person and try to earn it yourself. No, see... After making purification for our sins. After, not before. Jesus sits down at the right hand of the Father in majesty. Why? Because Jesus is better than angels, isn't he? So, let's not put our hope in stuff. Let's not put our hope in our relationships, in our things, in our finances, in our money, in our kids and our parents and our spouses and our cars, our homes, etc., etc., those things should cause us to glorify God. Lord, thank you. I don't deserve any of this. It's all yours. Let me keep my eyes fixed and focused on you because when hard times come and church, they're coming and they will come to us either individually or as a group, they will come. We'll be tempted to do what the Hebrews did. Go, angels, stuff. And we'll need to be reminded, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Amen? You stand with me this morning.